Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. All right, Bibles this morning, and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'd like to thank all those who helped out with the ramp yesterday, especially Punk. We uh, went out and looked at it, and Punk uh, got volunteered or voluntold to head up that project. I think did a wonderful, wonderful job for us yesterday. I think it was about a, a three hours or so. Of course, I think they'd already put in twice that much uh, getting prepared for us, uh, uh, Punk and, and Thomas and some of those. But uh, thank you so much for that. It's a, You know, it's a joy to be able to go out and do something for others. Um, when they can't do anything in return for you and do that in the name of Jesus Christ and have the opportunity to pray with them and see joy come upon their heart because someone loves them. And we got the opportunity to do that yesterday. Thank you, church, for praying for them and continue to do that in the days ahead. They sure need that. So, all right, with that, if you've got your Bibles, open Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. When you found that, stand with me in the honor of reading of God's Word. And we'll begin in the very first verse and read some very familiar verses like we did last week and then dive back in where we left off. So Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are, these not, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, and uh, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues and the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Father, this morning, truly we've worshipped you through our time together in Sunday school and fellowship, especially in our singing this morning, Father. Thank you for blessing us with that ability. Thank you for the kids. I pray for them as they go back this morning to their time. Let them have a time of great learning and stirring of heart as they are together back there. Father, for us now, as we approach your throne of grace through your word, let our minds be solely focused upon you, upon what you have to say to us individually, what you have to say to us as a church, Father, that you may be lifted high, that the church may be edified in glorifying you this morning. Do that by making very little of me and very much of you as you speak to our hearts this morning. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we started looking at this uh, passage, if you remember. We saw the providence of God and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we looked at this timing. 
We looked at this timing in the coming of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a coincidence that this day happened. If you remember, it lined up perfectly with uh, the feast out of the Old Testament. If you remember, the Passover was the first we looked at, which was symbolic of, a, of the death of Jesus Christ for our sins, to deliver us from sin, just as the Passover was remembering the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. We looked at the first uh, fruits feast, which was symbolic of Christ being raised from the dead as a first fruit of all of us who will be raised from the dead because we have uh, our faith placed in him then we looked at the feast of weeks or or of pentecost which was symbolic which was symbolic of of the coming of the holy spirit and the forming of the church together so we looked at all that last week and came to understand that pentecost was not just another random day it just didn't happen out of nowhere it wasn't just a day that just came to be it was as it says in verse one it was the day that pentecost had fully come had fully come. It indicates that there was a time frame and it indicates that this time frame had come to completion and Pentecost had happened. And this time frame was in place all the way back, as we noticed through those feasts, all the way back to the Old Testament. It wasn't a changing plan. It was a plan that was in place from eternity past, from eternity past. And this time frame was all God's. God gave the promise of the coming Holy Spirit and we saw that God is, was providential in that Holy Spirit coming. So that's the first thing that we saw in this passage. Today, let's look at the second thing we saw in the passage of this fulfillment of the promise of the coming Holy Spirit. We saw the providence of God today. Let's look at the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. In that second and third verse, it talks about this. It says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one set upon each of them. So it gives this picture, this picture of the coming Holy Spirit. See, Jesus had made two. Two promises, two promises as what would happen to uh, regarding the Holy Spirit coming and then the church. There were two promises that he made. We know about the one in Acts 1-5. For the one in Acts 1-5 we just studied a few weeks ago said, Truly, truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It gave us indication there was something about to change. There had been baptism in the, in the New Testament, but it had been this baptism of repentance. And something was about to change. This was the promise that the Holy Spirit was going to come and, and the baptism of the repentance that John had been doing, that baptism before the coming of the Holy Spirit, now was going to shift gears. There was going to be something a little bit different. There was going to be this baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then also remember the other promise that Jesus made about the church. It's one of my favorite promises that he made about the church and it comes from Matthew 16, 18. You don't have to turn there because you remember it. You remember he was having a conversation. He was having a conversation with one of his disciples. And the question had arisen, who do you say that I am? Remember? Remember, and one of his disciples answered. And whenever he answered, the statement was so powerful, so powerful and so true that he said that he made this statement. Jesus did. He says, on this rock, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It was a statement. That you are the son of the living God. It's a statement that there was one way to heaven is what was being said. There's one statement that he was both fully man and fully God. There was this one statement encompassed in that was that Jesus sent his only begotten son to earth to die and pay the penalty for our sins. And he was the only way, the only way to come into the presence of God. Jesus said upon this truth, upon this truth, I will build my church. And there's nothing 
Not even the gates of Hades can come against it. And the gates of Hades was not speaking about hell coming against it. It was actually a metaphor for the gates that opened up into a place called Hades. It's a place of death. It's the, Death can't even solve this. In other words, it was a promise to us that death would not rob us of this. Death would not take this away from us. It was a promise. And in the second chapter of Acts, we see these two promises merging together. Merging together into one reality. We see that the Holy Spirit shows up, and we see that the foundation for this church, this thing that had never existed before, was laid. This foundation was laid. Notice how the Holy Spirit's presence is described to us. Understanding the words that are used to describe this coming of the Holy Spirit helps us understand the importance. The very first word I notice as I read that second verse is it says, And suddenly, and suddenly... Often, often God works in very sudden ways, very sudden ways. If you know much about me, I like to know what's coming next. I like to feel like I'm in somewhat control over what's showing up next. I like to know what the plan is. I like to know what's laying ahead of me. But God oftentimes works in these very sudden ways. Is that an amen? Is that an amen as I see the head shaking? Many of you have experienced those sudden ways. Sudden ways in your life, and we know that happens. You just don't see it coming. You just don't see what God's going to do showing up. And, and here's the church. Here this church is started suddenly by the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's not like it's been prescribed out. It's not like there was a plan written. Suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up on the day of the fulfillment of Pentecost. It shows up. He shows up. They're baptizing the Holy Spirit, and the church is started. The church is started. It started suddenly. And I got to thinking, it also reminds me, that one day the church will be disassembled just as suddenly. Have you ever thought about it? Just as suddenly as the church was started at the day of Pentecost, there will come a day that it's going to be disassembled. For Jesus, for Jesus says that there will come a day, there will come a day that no one knows about, that he's going to come suddenly, in the blink of an eye, instantly, and he's going to take from this earth his church. See, there'll be no need for a church in heaven. We will be in heaven. We will be together. There will be no need for it. And one day, in the blink of an eye, all of the church is going to be disassembled and placed in the presence of the Almighty God, right there with our Lord and Savior, the, the master of ceremonies, the one who's going to set the table with us, the one who has led the church and said he would create it and said we're going to be in his presence in the blink of an eye. You know, that's an awesome thought to me, that the church was created suddenly, and one day, suddenly, we're all going to be taken away. We're all going to be taken away. We're going to be taken away because we're his bride. He's going to come for that bride. He's going to come unannounced for his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. You know, in verse 2 there, Luke wrote that this suddenness came with a sound from heaven. And it was a sound of heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. Boy, we've got some recent recollection of mighty rushing wind now, don't we? If <laughs> we really do. Notice, though, that he doesn't say that it was a mighty rushing wind. See, it's important to read not only what's said, but what's not said. No, he doesn't say it was a mighty rushing wind. He only says it was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It was a hard-blowing, noisy Wind that could have been associated with any windstorm, maybe there. We definitely associate it with hurricanes in our neck of the woods. A mighty, mighty rushing wind. But think about this. Think back to the hurricane. Think about the sounds of the wind, things blowing outside and trees falling and all kinds of noise that you heard. But you have the sound, but you have no evidence of the wind. 
What if you heard the hurricane, yet you looked out your window, and it looked like this? What if you could hear it blowing, but you didn't see anything? You see, he says that it was this sound of a mighty rushing wind. He doesn't give any indication that it was a rushing wind. You may think, well, there's nothing significant about that. But if right now, while we're in this place, the sun continued to shine and the trees continued to sit still, but you heard the noise of a hurricane, what would you say that it was? It was a miracle. Only by the hand of God would you hear it and not see it. Even though we know that you hear it and see it because of the hand of God also. But those that don't know God as God would have to stop and say something miraculous is happening. See, I find it interesting how the Bible connects the presence of the Holy Spirit with the wind in several places throughout Scripture. God uses something that we're familiar with, something that we can wrap our minds around, something that we can understand to help us understand something we're not familiar with, that we can't see, that we can't wrap our heads around. For instance, in John, John chapter 3, in John chapter 3, over in verse 8, it says this, it says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. And he ends that saying, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, he connects this wind and this, this wanton passing of the wind, and you can't tell from where it started. You can't tell from where it's ending. You just know it's passing through. And he relates that to those who are born of the Spirit. Jesus points out that the wind cannot be controlled or even understood by man. It can't be controlled or understood by man, but the effects of that wind can be seen by man. And you know the same thing relates to us in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> See, the same is true of the Holy Spirit. He cannot be controlled by man, and really in some instances can't even be understood by man. But the effects of the Holy Spirit can be seen. can be seen in each of our lives, in the world we live in, in the lives of those that are changed from a place called hell being their destination to a place called heaven. If you think back of that transition in your life where the direction of your eternity was changed, that was the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't know from whence He came. You don't know where He was going, but you do know the effects of when He was in your presence at that moment. And see, that's what He's, he's saying there. It's what He's saying there. Also over in Ezekiel, I love this passage in Ezekiel. And I know you probably don't sit around and read Ezekiel very much, but there's a story in Ezekiel that I find very interesting. It's Ezekiel 37. And if you remember talking about the, the prophet here in, in verse 9 of 37, it says this, And also he, speaking of God, said to me, and that's speaking of Ezekiel, he said, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, old breath, and breathe on those of these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Maybe you're not familiar with the passage, but if you remember the song, Dead Bones Rising, Dead Bones, Dead Bones. Just previous to this, he's been prophesying over dead bones that the muscles and the tissue came on that were still dead. And here he sits, and God said, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the breath. I find it very interesting that he says prophesy to the breath. He says prophesy to the breath and life will come. And surely... In the vision, 
It happened just as God said, the breath. What's the connection? What's the connection there? Back in Acts 2, back in Acts 2, to fully understand how this passage relates to God, to God's working through the Holy Spirit, you have to understand the the word that's used there for mighty rushing wind. We're so inadequate sometimes in English in translating that which was originally written. And, and we're so limited in trying to understand that which God is trying to tell us and to put it into words that, that we can understand and that we can use. But Acts chapter 2 and verse 2 there, when it talks about this wind, it talks about this Russian mighty wind, the word that's used there is pane, pane. If you actually look up that Greek word, in, uh, that word pane, it actually means respiration or breath. Respiration or breath. See the connection to Ezekiel? Whenever he told the prophet, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the breath. See, he was saying this breath, this sound was a breath from heaven. A breath from heaven. And the breath came. The breath came to them. When Luke writes that the sound of a a mighty rushing wind was heard, he's actually saying the breath from heaven was heard. Man, how awesome would it be to hear God breathe into your life? How awesome would that be to hear God breathe into your life? You know, it reminds me. It reminds me of the beginning of mankind on this earth. Remember the story in Genesis? Genesis 2-7, I believe it is. And it said, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. See, man came to be what man is because God breathed into their life. So we see the presence of the Holy Spirit here at Pentecost as a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And we understand it to be the breath of God in the place. And it was heard. It was heard. But you also notice in the third verse of Acts 2 there that it says there were these tongues like fire. Tongues like fire. Notice again that it does not say that actually fire came. Again, this is being symbolic, being symbolic. When you're trying to describe something that has no human comprehension, that you just can't quite comprehend, you use the closest thing that you can find. And fire was the closest thing that came to mind that made this any uh, and made any sense of this at all. So, so Luke uses that as a descriptor of what you see here. Fire oftentimes in the Bible speaks of God. God's work of, of many things in there. If you remember the children of Israel, remember the story of the children of Israel as they came out of bondage, as they were released out into the wilderness. What happened during the day? What happened during the day as they traveled? There was a cloud that covered them. What happened at night? It was a pillar of fire. What was the pillar of fire? The presence of God. It was the presence of God leading them. So you see fire in that relation. Many times also in the Bible you see fire relating to relating to the work of God in our lives and in the, in, in the lives of those who know Him as their Lord and Savior as this refining work. Remember the refining work of fire in the Bible. So we see fire saying there's this, there's this leading as you see in Exodus chapter 3, but then you see this refining work where you talk about silver being refined or gold being refined because it being heated and the dross drawn off of it. And it all relates to the heat of this fire as you see in 1 Peter chapter 1 when it talks about this refining and and you also see you also see in the Bible when it speaks of fire relation to God how the fire is the testing in our life sometimes there's testing like the words of the song I read this morning sometimes you find yourself in the fire of testing sometimes it just happens like in Isaiah 43 you find yourself in this this testing that happens because of, of the fire remember how fire also is used to describe judgment in the Bible 
Remember, judgment in the Bible comes through fire. Comes through fire. Jesus one day will come with his mighty angels. Will come with his mighty angels. And it speaks about fire in 2 Thessalonians 1.8 when it says, In flaming fire, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see fire also being this judgment on those who have turned their back on Christ and not accepted him. And God is about to do a mighty work in this small band of believers. And, it's, and it says this breath of God came in and this mighty fire that we see the examples of, of God in the Bible through is about to come down in their presence. God's about to gather them together into a church. And He's going to use the church. He's going to use this church to gather together to accomplish a certain mission. A certain mission. You remember what the mission is because Jesus told us at the end of the Gospels what the mission is. To start where we're at. To move out to the ones next to us. Out through our state, through our country, to the world. The uttermost ends of the world doing what? Telling them about His death, burial, and resurrection. What God has done in our life. There's a mission. There's a mission He directly gave to this band that is gathered together. And it's spreading the Gospel. It's spreading the Gospel throughout all the world. And when I think about this, this gathering of folks and I think about the breath of, of God coming in, when I think about this fire that comes down or this symbol of the fire coming down, I can't help but think about it at the start of their ministry, how the start of the church's ministry parallels the start of Jesus' ministry on earth. Do you remember? He showed up at a creek, <laughs> a little stream, a river. There was a fellow by the name of John the Baptist standing knee-deep in this water. And Jesus shows up and John says, I should be baptizing you. Jesus says, no, no. We must fulfill that which God has set in place. My Father set in place, you need to baptize me. And he goes into the water. He goes into the water. He's immersed in that water and he comes out. And what happens? You hear the breath of God. When he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you see the presence of God in the form of a dove, a Holy Spirit coming. Do you see the parallel between the start of Jesus' ministry? Because it was from that point forward that he walked the earth for three years ministering. Do you see the parallel between it and the start of the church that you are a part of now? You see, this breath of God, the alighted of the dove, is the same as this breathing, the sound that they heard of God breathing into their presence and the tongues of fire. That are lit upon them. See, we've been given, we've been given a ministry. And to start of the ministry of church, God sends the Holy Spirit in the form of cloven tongues of fire to rest upon each of those that make up the church. To fix, signify his approval, his approval and acceptance of the church as his beloved. Notice it says each person. It didn't just alight on the pastor or the deacons or the heads of committees, it was each person. Each person received this Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 2 and 3 describe for us the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we call it in, in one word. For the ones gathered in the room, it happened on the day of Pentecost, some 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, it tells us. But this is not the normative, by the way, <laughs> nature of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's, there is no 50-day waiting period from the time that you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior until the time that you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. We must recognize that in Acts, in Acts we're seeing a change. We're seeing a change of the times. We're seeing the birth of a church. 
Chances are this band of, of ones gathered together when they saw Jesus alive from the dead in their presence for 40 days come to understand what he had said about his death upon a cross. His death upon a cross that he was going to die to pay the penalty of their sins. That he would be buried and rise again the third day. It was then that they believed upon him wholeheartedly and were saved. And it was some 50 days later they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that's not today. Today, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens the minute you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How do I know that? The Bible tells us that. Romans 8 9 says, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So how can you be saved and not have the Spirit of Christ? You can't. See, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you. The Bible says to not have a spirit is to not have him. So the minute, the moment, the blink of an eye that your life is changed from being in control of the devil to being in control of the Lord, you also are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Each of us that have come to know Jesus Christ have received this baptism. And there's no question. There's no question to me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's written about it too much in the Bible. If you remember back to Ephesians, remember when we were in the book of Ephesians for what was it, a month or two it took us to get through that? Some 36 of them? Um, Paul tells us in Ephesians, Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are baptized into one body by one spirit because of one Christ. Remember, all of us. All of us are baptized into the body by the one Spirit, because of the one Savior. We're all joined together into one body by that same Holy Spirit. Then why is it more evident in some than others that the Holy Spirit dwells? Is it because some don't have Him? No. The Bible tells us if you know Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you. But it's kind of interesting because verse 4 of Acts 2 explains that for us. Notice what it says in 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Evidently, there's a difference between being baptized in the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you know we had this discussion some weeks ago. Some weeks ago when we look, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Evidently, you can be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but not yet be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? See, there's no question. There's no question that at your conversion, you receive all of the Holy Spirit you ever need or that you ever get. So if that's the case, how can you not be filled with the Holy Spirit? See, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that you've yielded the control of your life completely to Him. He may be in you, but not be in control of you. And therefore, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. God does not just want you to have the Holy Spirit in your life. He wants the Holy Spirit to be in complete control of your life. Complete control. That's where we have the problem. If I were to ask for a raise of hands this morning, how many of you like for someone else to be in control of your life? I imagine the hands would be few that went up. Most of you may be like me. I don't even like to ride with other people driving because I feel like I'm out of control. To get on an airplane doesn't make me nervous it's going to fall. It just makes me nervous he's going to go somewhere that I don't want to go. To, to make an appointment somewhere and just be expecting the person to show up and meet me makes me a little nervous because I'm not in control. The same thing happens in our spiritual life. Yes, we want God to be Savior. Yes, we say we want Jesus to be Lord, but we want to keep a certain amount of control to ourselves. And what happened here that demonstrated that the Holy Spirit had taken complete control over this group, this group, and it completely filled them 
in that fourth verse also it says, and they began to speak with other tongues. Well, you know as well as I do, this is a verse that people just take completely out of context and run with. I'm going to try to very quickly drop it into a context for you since we're almost out of time this morning. The word tongues here is not an unintelligible utterance of uncontrolled speech. This is the ability to speak in tongues or languages that they did not know. The word actually translated there is glossa. Glossa is the word that's actually translated there. If you look at other uses of that word, it always emphatically means language. It means language. It was with other languages that they spoke. How do we know that? A simple glance at verse number 9 will answer the question for you. Number 9 lists the ones from other countries that could understand them. It makes absolutely no sense to think we're going to make a list of other countries that suddenly could hear these guys speak if what they were speaking was complete gibberish. It makes no sense. So what happened here is they spoke in other languages. But let me ask you this. Do you have the Holy Spirit ability to speak in other languages yourself? Some of you think I do because of some of the things I say from up here, but it's not. It's supposed to be English. Sometimes it just doesn't come out that way. But does it mean if you can't speak in other languages that you don't have the filling of the Holy Spirit? No. Don't write into the text what's being said here. This is not the normative. This is not the normative mode of knowing you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the evidence that, that you are filled is not the speaking in tongues. The evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever noticed the fruit of the Spirit does not contain the fruit of tongues? Ever noticed? If you go read that, you'll be searching that this afternoon. I hope to find that. But the evidence is actually the, the fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 and 6 what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We won't read it. You go home and read it. But it tells you things like we're to, to worship. We're to be uh, thankful. We're being to be loving. We're being, to be submissive. Uh, we're, we're to be uh, obedient. We're to be good parents, if you remember. We're to be good spouses. He, he goes through and says we're to be excellent workers. There's a whole list of things that should come out, should show that you are indwelled and, and completely turned over and filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is not one of them. Here, it was used for a very particular purpose. He relates it to what he said, actually, Paul does, in Colossians 3.16. He relates to being filled with the Holy Spirit to Colossians 3.16 when it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. When he speaks about this filling of the Holy Spirit, it comes through the word indwelling you richly. See, if the word is completely in you, what comes out of you? The word. And it comes out in the actions. It comes out in the thoughts. It comes out in the speech. In this particular moment, God was using them for a particular thing we'll see in just a second very quickly he says to be filled with the spirit means you're filled with his word and having the fruit of the spirit is evidence of a life evidence of life that causes exactly what the presence of the spirit in acts 2 did in their life this fruit of the spirit so so we've seen the the providence of god we've seen the presence of the holy spirit very quickly let's look at the ponderance of the people in this verse so we can tie these these knots together for you acts 2 5 and 6 starts us off and it says and there was dwelling in jerusalem jews they were devout men of every nation under heaven and when this sound occurred the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language now we're going to get down to why 
why were they speaking in different languages? See, there was this great crowd of Jews. There was this great crowd of Jews that had gathered together in Jerusalem. Why? Because it was feast time, if you remember. It was feast time. They were all gathered there. It could have been up to a million gathered in this place. And the sound of this mighty wind that had no evidence had got their attention. As a matter of fact, it had got their attention so much it tells us there in verse 6 that they were gathered together. The multitude gathered together. And, and it says that when they gathered together, they heard the believers speaking in their own languages. And it doesn't say the language they spoke now. It says the languages of their birth. I take that to mean there may have been some that were so educated they spoke Aramaic, which was the tongue of the day, but language of their ancestry may have been different. And they were surprised to hear not just the Aramaic being spoken, which they could have probably understood, but they even heard the language of their forefathers being spoken. And they could hear this. They most likely were confused, it tells us in verse 7, because the ones that were speaking were Galileans. To us, that doesn't mean much. To us, it doesn't mean much at all. To them, it meant everything. So the Galileans were the hicks of the day. They were the backwoods folks. They were the uneducated bunch. They were the ones that just were simple people, didn't bother with education, worked on the farm all their life. To them, they were lesser. Yet they heard these Galileans. They heard these Galileans speaking. And, and the thing that's so amazing, it says there in verse 8, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? See, God had brought them together through this miracle of the sound of this mighty wind with no evidence. And now he grabbed their attention. He just reached out and grabbed their attention because they heard this native tongue being spoken. Could you imagine having grown up somewhere like Russia where Rich has been uh, this past week or two? And that's been the language you learned. But you came over to America at a young age and you, you learned through school this English language and you understood English fluently. And suddenly you heard somebody speak in a Russian tongue. What did it catch your attention? What did you look and say, boy, you don't hear that in America much. There's something odd about that. Think if it was coupled with the sound of a hurricane that none of the trees ever moved. It would really get your attention. And that's exactly what happened. They, they, they had gotten their attention grabbed by God. The speaking in tongues is a, not a desired outcome for believers. It's not what God was after. What he was after is... Uh, believers being filled with the Holy Spirit so that they could be used. To say that they could speak in under other languages, that they could get up and say, hey, I can speak in Russian, or I can speak in... That would just bring themselves glory. That's not what God's after. So what then is the purpose? What then is the purpose God had in them speaking in other languages? It's the exact same purpose. The exact same purpose God has in gifting you to do things that I can't do. In empowering you to do things you don't think you can do. It's the exact same reason. Because none of them woke up that morning going, I sure hope I get to speak a different language today. None of them woke up that morning, and when they learned to speak another language, said, look what I can do. None of them did that. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and it came out in that manner, just as yesterday, the filling of the Holy Spirit came out in hands working on a deck somewhere. Just like in the past weeks, it's come out in hands feeding people. It's come out in phone calls. It's come out in all different ways. It's no different. Here, God had a particular purpose, and he hit them with a gift at that moment to reach that purpose. 
Notice why. Verse 9, very quickly. There was a list of, of people. There was a list of countries. I'm going to run through really fast. It starts off on, on the east side. It works its way to the west, all the way across. It says there's these Parthenians who are located in today in the upper part of modern Iran. And they were the arch enemies of Rome. It moved from there to the, the Medes uh, and the Persians. And they were both part of this Parthenian uh, empire, this Parthenian empire. The Elamites, they were located in the modern southern Iran area. They were also part of that Parthenian empire. Then you have Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is located between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, which, by the way, the title Mesopotamia means between two rivers. They were located between these two rivers. You have Judea. You're used to the name Judea. It was a place that was ruled by King David, if you remember. That was a stretch. You can see we're getting closer to Jerusalem. Now we're going to pass Jerusalem as it starts with Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. All of those were part of Asia Minor, not the continent of Asia, but Asia Minor at that particular time. Then you look at Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, all parts of what is today modern Africa, if you remember. Then you've got Rome. We all know about Rome. Rome was the center. It was the ruling government at all. Then you've got the Cretes, who from the Isle of, of Crete. Then you've got the Arabs for Arabia. That's really easy. You remember cities like Damascus. What do all of those have in common? There's one thing that all of those have in common. <laughs> Think about what Jesus said. In Acts 1.8, when he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. See the connection? The end of the earth? The end of the earth was standing in a room going, Why do we hear wind and we don't see it? And who are these uneducated Galileans speaking in my native tongue? See, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. He keeps it sometimes when we're not willing to go. We're out of time. We won't address it. But think about what's happening right now in our country as people from all over the world are trying to escape their country and the persecution to come to our country. Think about that in relation to God's message to us. Go to the uttermost ends of the world and spread the gospel. We've chosen to sit in a pew in a comfortable building and not go. So what did God decide? If you won't go, I'll bring them to you. It's no different than what happens here. See, they were from all over the world, and now they stood in their presence. He told them this Holy Spirit would come. He told them the message would go to the uttermost ends of the world, and there they stood. By the manner in which the Holy Spirit came upon these believers, God had fulfilled both of these promises. Both of the promises. That the Holy Spirit would come, and that they would take the message to the uttermost ends of the world. Merged together in one presence of the Holy Spirit. One presence. That's why in verse 11 it says, We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God, it says in Acts 2.11. It wasn't gibberish. They weren't just uttering things nobody could understand. These people were looking at Galileans that were uneducated, very dumb people in their mind, and they were hearing the wonderful works of God. There's a side note message we won't take today, but when we talk to people... What should we be talking about? How bad the economy is? How we don't like people moving in our neighborhood from other countries? How it's tough to find a new house or a job or all the destruction? No, we should be telling them about the wonderful works of God. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And that's what they have to tell. They had the ability. They had the ability to speak about what God had done. What God had done in their lives in the native tongues of those who were listening. <laughs> That to me is awesome.
What's represented before them? The uttermost ends of the world. God brought them into their presence. God used the miraculous coming of the Holy Spirit to cause those who were gathered to hear what was being said and to attribute that that they had seen and heard to the wonderful works of God. There was no way the devil could get any credit. There was no way anyone could get any credit but God. Because when they heard the wind and didn't see it, when they saw them speak a language they didn't know, and they heard them saying, all of this is because of an awesome God, there was only one place credit could go, and that was to God. We need to live our life that way. We need to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that everything we do points to the God that died upon a cross for our sins and saved us when we were so unsavable. That's what we need to do. It's not enough that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. That made them unified in the body of Christ. They also had to be filled with the Holy Spirit to go out and accomplish the mission that was given to them. There's a word in that to us that brings up two questions very quickly this morning. First, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you ever truly turned over your life to Jesus Christ? And I'm talking about for your eternity. Has there been a time that you realized without a change in your life, without God stepping in and breaking the direction you're going, that there is going to be an eternity for you in a place called hell? If not, the presence of the Holy Spirit is not your issue. The presence of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is your issue. Have you ever given your life eternally to Jesus Christ? Question number one. If not, very simple. You recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You recognize that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You recognize that God sent His only begotten Son because He loved you so much to die upon a cross for your sins. You recognize the fact by saying, yes, He is the only way, and confessing with your mouth what you come to believe in your heart, which is that He died for your sins, that you are saved. You follow that with baptism. Baptism baptizes you into the church. It's a symbol of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what it takes to get step one and question one answer. But then there's question two. For those of you who can answer with beyond a shadow of a doubt, yes, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Yes. If there is no tomorrow, my eyes will open looking my Savior in the face in a place called heaven. Yes, there is no doubt in my mind or my heart that heaven is my destiny for all eternity. For those who can answer that question, yes, here's the question for you. (laughs) Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you? Don't give me lip service because lip service is not how it's answered in the Bible. How is it answered in the Bible? Fruit. Fruit. Not excuses. Not exceptions to the rule. Not any of those things. Not even speaking with tongues. It's fruit. You say, well, Pastor, you're not to judge. No, but it can be a fruit inspector because the Bible tells us what the fruit is. I don't need to judge your life. I've got a busy enough time judging my own. But where's the fruit? Church, it's time that the church be so laden with fruit that the limbs are bowed low to the ground so those that don't know Jesus can pick it, (laughs) so they can come to know Jesus. Where's the fruit? You see, because the object of Christ dying upon a cross is not just that you might spend eternity with Him forever in a place called heaven. What is the object? The object is so that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses to me, Jesus, about Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If Jesus stood before you today and asked you to answer a question honestly, when's the last time someone heard about your Jesus from your lips to their ears? 
What would be your answer? I would dare say the bulk of those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior have not shared the gospel with anyone in years. Sharing the gospel is not bringing them to hear a sorry preacher such as myself preach. That is not sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is standing before them and telling them of the wonderful works of God in your life. Can you say that fruit's there this morning? Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.